never, ever, ever lets us down. Oh, man, how good is our God. He is committed to our joy. We find that joy when we come to faith, and after we come to faith, he's committed to increasing our joy through our growing in relationship with him. So I'm Todd, and uh, one of the pastors here, welcome, good to be with all of you here, good to be with you folks on, uh, uh, online, and oh, God is good. He never, ever lets us down. There are challenges, but he, he never lets us down. So want to invite, invite you all next week. Next week, we have one worship service. We're going to meet at 9 o'clock, and we're going to celebrate what God has done and what we hope he will do in this next year in our worship service next week at 9 o'clock. So hopefully this will be packed, and you online can join us. Then at 1030, We've got some administrative work to do. We call it our annual meeting. And if you're not a member, you're welcome to attend. You're just not able to uh, vote in that meeting, but come and see is what's going on, some administrative part of, uh, of, of who, who we are. So my first love in life was basketball. And I fell in love, and I remember watching Paul Westfall when he played for the Phoenix Suns. And he's dribbling in one-on-one -on, -one on a guy, and he's coming in from the right side of the lane. This is for those of you who are Hooper. And then he puts the ball in his left hand. He looks like he's going left. And then I remember he does a reverse pivot spins and makes a right-handed layup. I saw that, and I went out in the driveway, and I figured out how to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you. I used that move over the years, right, left hand, and I beat a lot of guys, and it brought me great joy. I remember watching Michael Jordan. He's on the left baseline. It looks like he's going left. The guy cuts him off, so all he does is this. He keeps the ball in his left hand. It was a simple little move in fake. All he does is look over his left shoulder like he's going to turn around and then go back left. I used that into my 50s. I was still full of young kids that wanted to guard the old fat guy because they thought they couldn't stop him. They thought I'd be easy to stop. Now, here's why I imitated those guys. They had something I wanted. And I was convinced if I had what they had, I would be happier. We can imitate the way people dress. We can follow when they see a car, how they speak. We imitate just naturally and intuitively those things that we're convinced are going to make us happier. Now, we're talking about that this morning. We're in this process, and for those who uh, haven't been around, we're in this three-week series on sharing the joy, a tool designed to help us, help us, help others find Jesus. And here's the big idea of what I want to talk about this morning, because I think sometimes it's we have trouble getting here, because it feels arrogant. It's not arrogant. But as disciples of Christ, we're inviting others, that's what we did last week, to imitate us as we imitate Jesus. 
and we're inviting to imitate us because here's what we're absolutely convinced of. Their life will be happier if they have what we have. Now, we've been using charts. I got some more I'm going to throw up here today. We can get lost in all the church charts in the 21 days, but I gave you this description of discipleship, but the description of Christianity, the description of the purpose of life. This is the, the way I see it. And as we deal with all the charts, you do with all the pages, don't, don't lose sight of how simple this is. Here's life. Walking with Jesus while we walk with others. And we got this tool that we hope will help us do this more effectively. But don't get lost. This isn't, in one sense, it isn't very complicated. We're just walking with Jesus while we walk with others. If they know Christ, we're going to help them know Jesus more. They're going to help us. If they don't know Christ, we're there to introduce them to Jesus. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what you do all week. This is the purpose of life. You want to be happy. You see that joy on the wall on the back? You want to experience that. Here's the way. Walk with Jesus while we walk with others. That. So if anybody ever asks you for the purpose of life, you have the answer. The purpose of life is to walk with Jesus while I walk with others. Now, this is the chart we've been using for a disciple. Oh. Now, I just had a thought occur to me, and my wife always tells me, don't do that. <laughs> now, it may not feel like it, but just about everything that comes out of my mouth on a Sunday morning has been planned and prepared. If I had thought come into my house, in my head, part of the reason we got to do this diagram is because in the church, we have made the church running the institution and the organization. You young people, I hope you haven't dealt with that at RCC. My first church, we had 120 people on a Sunday morning. Our first annual meeting like we're having, they had 85 spots that we voted for. We voted for two guys, who's going to drive the bus to pick up the kids in the town next to us? Now, this is the stuff I didn't plan. You're with me, right? My second church, when I arrived, I had about 200 on a, uh, on a Sunday morning, everybody included, counting everybody. We had a general board, we had a deacon board, we had an elder board, and we had a trustee board. I went to most of those meetings. I stopped going to deacon meetings after I came home. They spent an hour talking about silver or gold trays for communion. They wanted to get some new stuff. I said almost nothing, went home, expressed my frustration. My wife gave me, she's always giving me great advice. You need to stop going to those meetings before you hurt somebody. <laughs> So part of what drew me to this church about 19 years ago, just over, was y'all blew up all this stuff. In that church where we had all those committees after about five years, we got rid of a bunch of them because people would get together, I'm not sure exactly what they were accomplishing. 
But we want people to be free, to be with other people, giving this Jesus guy away. So part of what drew me down here was that you guys had blown all that stuff up. We didn't have all these committees, finance committee, CE committee, and all these committees. So we have kept from building those because we don't want you spending your time administering the stuff of the church. There is administration. I have some administration to do in my job. Believe it or not, it is the least favorite part of my job. I do it joyfully because it helps us do the rest. We have an annual meeting because it helps us do the rest. But this is just about us sharing our lives with one another and letting Jesus leak out. That's what we are. And so we, we have administered people from campus, money. We got people that, and that is part of discipling. We got people here to devote significant time to counting our money and to adding it up and keeping budgets. I'd rather have a root canal without Novocaine than do that stuff. It's valuable, essential stuff here to our organization, but we're trying to keep that to a bare minimum. So then your lives, you got time to interact with people. So back to, you guys know this, for if you're new here, this is our picture of what a disciple of Christ looks like. Our one is about the relationship with God, three basic relationships in life. Most important is our one, relationship with God. Our two is relationship with other believers. Our three is relationship with those that don't know Jesus yet. And we just got to hang with them because we got something that'll make their life better. We talked, I talked three weeks ago, I think we can have a tendency to get connected and focused on one of those circles or maybe even two and forget three. Our conviction around here is disciples of Jesus, they're that part in the middle. Love God. Now, again, I suggested I'm going to go back there. R2 is the key. We're going to talk about that's what this whole thing is based on. We get R1 through other people. I told you before, I had to come up with a different plan. If I'm omniscient, I'm thinking there's a better way than using us. But that's his plan. To use people as the primary means of displaying and experiencing his grace, his glory, his love, and his forgiveness. So, we're in the third week, but first we start with identify. Stephen pulled that apart here two weeks ago. The fields are plentiful. Matthew 9.28. There's folks out there. There's folks out there. They're plentiful, but the laborers are few. So let's pray. Hope you got your alarm set for 938. Drew was here last week, and he talked about inviting. We're just inviting people intentionally, deliberately into relationship with us. That's what we're doing. Come hang with us. Because we're convinced we have something that will make their life better. And today, we're talking about imitating. Because here's what we're saying. We want people to imitate us because we're imitating Jesus. And if we can help them imitate us and see in us something that's better for their life, their life's going to be happier. They're going to experience more joy, more significance, more meaning. Ah! This is the purpose of life. So, Father, as we finish this series, pray that you would uh, encourage us. With all my heart, Father, I pray. I pray that this wouldn't just be something we've done for three weeks, some exercise. 
that ends up being flat and shallow and short-lived. We're talking about us experiencing more joy by helping others experience more joy. Ah, Father, it's what you've designed life to be. We've done the stuff, but nothing happens unless you move, unless your spirit moves. So that's what we're praying, that your spirit would move. In Jesus' name, amen. So why do we do it this way? Because it's the way Jesus modeled it to be done. Now let's not forget, he's a human being. Who also is he? He's thinking God. Now I don't know about you, but if God decides it to do this way, maybe there's something for us to learn. Huh. The disciples lived with Jesus. He said, come live with me. And for three years, they lived with him. They got to hang with him. He shared their life in this intimate way with them. Now, they heard him teach. He spoke. He spoke to crowds. He spoke to smaller groups. Lots of times, he spoke to the disciples. That's cool. He did a great job telling them truth. This is an integral, essential part of it. I think it's the part that the church has mastered. Let's put people in a Sunday school class. Let's put them in a sermon. Do we hope that this happens in here? Do I hope you get a clearer view of Jesus after you leave than when you arrived? It is our hope. We've not done as well at the second part. The disciples lived with him and they watched him day in and day out interact with others. He told them a lot. Essential. But they got to watch him live it. Michael Jordan could have described what move he made. He could have written it down. He could have told me about it. But you know what was much easier? Just watching him do it. This isn't an either or. But Jesus modeled. We have life groups around here. We don't call them Bible studies. We don't call them small groups. We call them life groups. Because our hope is everybody will get connected in one of these groups, and what do we do is we share life with one another. Now, we may meet for an hour, an hour and a half, but we hope those relationships go way beyond that hour and a half. The life group, the most important stuff in a life group is not what happens in that hour and a half. But lives rubbing up against other lives encouraging one another, being encouraged. We do that everything we do around here. We've got a women's tea coming up this next weekend, Saturday. It's intended to have life. We don't care if you like tea. If you don't like tea, bring some coffee. This is about us hanging with one another, getting to know one another, having some fun. And if you like tea so much, the better. Now, I didn't get this until I read this book, Master Plan of Evangelism. Now, it's all throughout the scripture. When I'm in the process of coming to faith, and I'll recommend this book if you've not read it. But it's a book about what Jesus did. He helped me understand this discipleship model. He said, Jesus always had time for the crowds and for other folks. Then he had the 12. Focused on them for three years. And then in 12, he had the three. And within the three, 
he had the one, the beloved. He had different levels of doing this. I read that book some 40 years ago. I said, this is the way I'm going to live. It's how I spend most of my week. I'm trying to get people to imitate me. I don't want the irritating habits. I don't want the idiosyncrasies. I'm not trying to get them to eat as much as I do. There's lots of things about me I pray people will never, ever pick up. But make no mistake. Trying to get people to trust in God, to have a view of God. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing in the world that more excites me. I know there's a couple of NFL games, but nothing in the world more excites me than God. He is mind-blowing. He is awe-inspiring and he is good, committed to us for pity's sakes. How good is this? So I have administrative stuff I do around here happily because it enables and empowers us to do the rest, but it's the least favorite part of my job. It's the way God designed for his love to be spread. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the ultimate goal, that we imitate God, that we imitate Christ. In training Timothy, Paul writes to him, see what we're talking about here. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Timothy, imitate me. And I want you to take what I've given you and given it to others who will be able to teach others also. Guys, this isn't rocket science, but it feels like to me in the church we don't always see this as clearly as we could. Why we're doing this share the joy emphasis. Some will see arrogance in that. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I see none. Paul knew who he was. We're going to look at it a little more fully here a little later. He knew who he was, but he got this. This is the way God has decided to display his glory, his love, his, gra his grace, the gospel. He's using people. He wasn't so good, and then he had that experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life was absolutely transformed. And here's what he, he understood. Okay, God's going to use me to point others to him. Timothy, I'm giving something what I got to you. Now you give that to others that they may give it away. So we happily imitate those who are imitating Jesus. It's simple. This is where we're going to start. Two points, this is the first one really to the sermon, although I've been talking. The key to our getting other people to imitate us is our imitating somebody else. Everybody hear that? That's where we get fuel. That's where we grow. We got other people. There's two points to the sermon coming up. Here's the first one. Why do I follow other people and have I followed other people? Not just 
Not just Michael Jordan, not just Paul Westfall in the spiritual realm. Because they have something I want that I need, I would really, I'm convinced I have more of what they have, I'll be happier. So what I want to do is I want to spend time with them and I want to hang with them. Because somehow, God just uses that to grow us. For me, oftentimes through their ideas, most times, just their faith. I hang with them and there's this supernatural, mystical dimension that happens. I hang with these guys with this faith and I end up with more. Can you guess what emotion I end up feeling? Joy! Oh, I would love more enthusiasm. Now I end up happier. We're motivated from our experience of Jesus that we got from other people. None of us got Jesus except through other people. You go, I got it from the Bible. I didn't get it from people. John, Paul, Moses, Luke, I call those guys people. I don't know about you, but I call those guys people. Now, they didn't say it out loud. I read what they wrote. But God uses people. And we're motivated to experience more of Jesus that we get from other people. Not just after we get converted. But how do we keep growing? Now, here's where it gets messy. May I see the hands of you who have been offended or hurt by somebody you went to church with? May I see your hands? All right, that's a good share of us. Here's the cool thing. I'm old. Nobody in church has ever said anything to offend me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys catch sarcasm, don't you? It gets ugly, it gets messy, and I know way too many people who have left church and walked away from the church because they had a bad experience. Breaks my heart. Talked with somebody here just a couple weeks ago whose kid, as an adult, got by hurt. Went through some tough times in her life, and uh, church folks abandoned her. Now wants nothing to do with Jesus. Is that 938? Oh, we got one godly person in here. <laughs> I'm grateful for one. There we go. It gets ugly. It's not that easy. Because let me tell you, everybody that God has chosen to, you, to, to use to display his glory, his love, and his grace, every stinking one of them is imperfect. But it is his plan. So, here's a picture. You see the line on the left coming in? That's our life. And then that first uh, vertical line is that's when we're converted. For me, it's a period of roughly two years. But when we get converted, we get a sense of our sin, our problem. And then we get a picture of God's grace, his love in sending Christ into the world to love us. You see that up there? I was converted 40, roughly 40 years ago. My life was changed. The key was I understood my sin. It was clear, and I got to the point where God should damn me. And that's when I had this experience of God's grace that changed my life. He doesn't. He sends, he should just damn me. Don't crucify your son. Just damn me. You still get glory out of that for punishing me for my sin. 
Your holiness is upheld. Now, this is a picture of the way I hope it will be in churches. We have that experience of God's grace and our sin at our conversion, and then we experience ongoing spiritual transformation, and it just grows. One of the things that breaks my heart for too many folks I've talked to in the church, it feels like to me, conversion is the point of their greatest experience of God's grace. They come to faith and they see their sin, they see God's grace, and they are on fire. Well, they go to church for a while. Breaks my heart. God designed it to be this growing experience of the cross. Forty years later, I had a pretty clear view of, his, of my sin and his grace 40 years ago. Let me tell you, it doesn't compare to what I see today. I see sin in my life now in ways and in yours that never I would have even considered 40 years ago. And you know what that does to my experience of his grace? There are certain times, one of them this morning, he is good. I can almost never sing that song without thinking about this. I still got so much that's messed up about me. Do I ever beat myself up? Not once, even though I have a clearer view of my sin. Because I got a much more clear view of his grace. And I'm going to tell you, it lights me up. Six significant influencers in my life. People that influenced me to varying degrees, and I'll pull it apart that I follow. Roy and Pearl Lotzberg. Roy and Pearl, when I was in youth group in high school, we called the leaders high school sponsors. Roy and Pearl were about 70. My junior year where they became sponsors of our high school group. They were 70. They didn't dress cool. They didn't look cool. They didn't try and talk our language. You know what they did? They just loved us. Now, when we went sliding down a hill, they didn't do that. But if we were going bowling, Roy would bowl with us. They just took an interest in us and loved us. They said, anytime you guys are out and you want to come to our house, come any time. Do we need to call? They said, no, just show up. First time we did it, we showed up. They went out and got snacks, soda, all this stuff, put it out there. And we hung out with them for about three hours. They just loved us. Uh, did that several times. And they actually said, well, sometimes we're not going to be here, so we're going to hide a key in the back. You guys just open the house, go in, help yourself to whatever you want. I kept in touch with them until they died. I didn't love Christ at the time. 
People talk about age and all this stuff. You had to have people all the same age. Here's what people need. It's just somebody to take an interest in them. This age stuff, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but how about somebody just taking an interest? Because everybody wants somebody to take an interest in them. These guys just loved us and hung with us. That's all they did. They just hang with us. They didn't preach with us. They didn't do all this stuff. They just hung with us. Yeah, till they died, I'm going to miss them. You guys have heard me talk about uh, both these guys, Sean Salehammer, particularly, and David Yeager. You look at my chart, Roy and Pearl were before I was converted, but John and David. John's the guy in seminary that helped me learn how to read, and I finally could hear from these human authors that God had inspired more clearly, and I got the picture of joy. Dave Yeager was a buddy of mine that was living it out in seminary. I think I've told you the story, but I remember him moving downtown Minneapolis so he could help some of those guys get the gospel. We moved him into a house on a Saturday morning. We left this idyllic little campus with a gym on the lake, and it was just quiet and us. And he moved down into this old dumpy house in downtown Minneapolis, and there was a guy relieving himself on the middle of an after sunny Saturday afternoon in the house he was moving into. And it was in one of those communities where it appeared not to be a big deal. And I still remember as I was hanging with him trying to figure this out. Why would a guy do this? What would motivate him to do this? It was key to my coming to faith. Brad Varshaw, he was a district superintendent of, uh, uh, up in Seattle of pastors. I remember we got to know each other very, pretty well, and, and I liked him. And he said, hey, would you join the district board? I said, <laughs> not till hell freezes over. Because I can tell you what district boards do. They do administration. I got enough of that. I'm trying to do as little as I can in the pastorate. I'm not looking for another opportunity to do more. And then I said to him after that, oh, I apologize for speaking that. That's candidly. Until hell freezes over twice. The first time ain't going to be enough for me. And then he started hanging out with me. He just poured his life into me. We became dear friends. He and his wife did uh, uh, foster care for medically fragile infants. Never forget the night he said to, Anita said to Julie, I got a little four, a four pound girl upstairs. Will you go help me get her? Never forget the, uh, watching my wife and Anita come down, heart monitor, oxygen, lung tank. It took two of them to get this four pound baby. I remember holding her. Most of you know now probably she's our youngest daughter. Here's why I hung with Brad, and I actually did join the district board because his, his, his vision was for the district board. He'd pour his life into us, and then we'd just pour our life into other pastors. I had never heard anybody talk like that in this level of organization. So I was actually meeting with a bunch of younger pastors. He poured into me. I was happy then. He had a vision of just discipling people. And here's why I hung with him. He had a stronger faith than me. That's what I wanted. I could feel it. I trusted God, but he trusted God more. Then you guys know this name, many of you. Pastored here, planted a gazillion churches down here. He was Uncle Wally to me. I remember my first memory of Wally is I'm probably in first grade and my two little brothers and I are wrestling with him and Wally beat us. That's how far it goes back. 
I move here, one of the best gifts I got was hanging out with Wally. Wouldn't be here except for the connections with Wally, with you all, and with me. I was happy where I was. He said, just talk to these people, Todd, for me, will you? I said, Willie, Wally, for you, I'll talk to them. What I got from Wally was just this faith. Three months before he died, He's going to the cardiologist. I said, call me after the cardiologist. He's on the way home. I said, so what did the cardiologist say? He said, there's nothing else they can do. So how you feeling? I already knew the answer. If I had a voice, I'd have sung the hallelujah chorus. Got here. Here's what he said. How about you play golf with me? I go, I have to play golf. We play golf regularly. I'm here a few months. He goes, hey, you want to go to lunch? I go, sure. We go to lunch. He says, you want to go back to my office and read the Bible a little bit? I go, I like those things. For the first eight years, until about 2010 when he died, he and I would get together most weeks. We'd go to lunch. Ten days before he died, he and I went to lunch. Four days before he died was the last time we got together and talked about the text. Now, so one of those two sessions, I still remember, we're talking about something and we're wrestling with it. And he goes, you know, I'm still figuring this out. I wanted to say to him, believe it or not, I do calibrate sometimes. I wanted to say to him, well, you're going to see Jesus in maybe 15 minutes. You don't have to keep telling me that you're still growing and you're going to grow till you die. But I appreciate the emphasis. 45 years old when I moved down here and started hanging with Wally. I followed him because he had more of what I wanted. We just get together and talk about Jesus and talk about life. That's all we did. Never once called himself a mentor. In fact, one time we were talking about influence and influencing others, and he said, people think mentoring is hard. He says, all it is is taking a genuine interest in somebody else. A lot of truth there. So the way it works is Jesus, Paul looks to Jesus, Wally looked to Paul, I look to Wally, and then I'm trying to get other people to follow me. I know you got your books and you're doing other stuff, but I'd encourage you to actually make a list like this for you. Who are those folks that have influenced you that God's used to bring you there? So why do we imitate others? Holy, oh, I got to go fast. You see me catch myself there? Holy, and then I was just about to say a word. Did you see that? I think somebody ought to say amen. Evidence of the Holy Spirit in God's life. He was about to say a word and he did not say it. So when you question whether or not the Holy Spirit's in my life, there is exhibit A right there. Why we imitate others? Because this is the way Jesus chosen to do it. And there's nothing better than growing in our faith with Jesus. A lot of fun stuff out there. I will likely watch most of two football games today. Forgive those among us, Father. Thanks for accepting them where they are. I was going to add, though, but not nearly as much fun as thinking about Jesus.
I tell you, doing that with somebody, a great way to show them Jesus. Do we happily imitate those who are imitating? And now we're to the second point that I'm going to move through very quickly. We expectantly invite others to imitate us as we imitate Jesus. Because I just want to give away what I have. There's actually not much more to it. Now, those of you who know me know I'm far from done talking, but this is it. I just want to give away what we have. Reasons we don't invite others to imitate us. This is just my thoughts. Never really experienced it. I read Master Plan of Evangelism. My dad was a pastor. I'd grown up in the church all my life, been to all kinds of stuff, been to every Sunday school class, and don't hear me saying that it wasn't happening on some level there. But in a significant level, I read that book and I go, I am now committing to do something that I don't really believe I've been the beneficiary of. This is going to be hard. Those early years, I'm not saying I do it that well now, but you should be thanking Jesus. You didn't have to deal with me in my early years where I'm figuring this out. Committed to it. I've never wavered. So maybe you don't feel like anybody's invested in your life in the way I'm talking about. You don't sense. You've been in Sunday school, you've been doing this. Hear these words, I'm going to say them as lovingly as I can. I don't care. <laughs> you are where you are. Be thankful for who God's used and let's go forward from here. I'm not worth following. I don't know all the answers. If you're ever investing in somebody's life that's a believer or an unbeliever and you don't know the answer, I am going to give you the magic words to say. Everybody ready? So those of you who are afraid of not knowing the answer, here's what you say that solves everything. I don't know. Is anybody confused? Is there anybody lost on what to say if somebody asks you something that you don't know the answer to? I don't know. There's the answer. Hey, let's figure it out together. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor. Look at these. He did all this stuff. An insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul is not speaking hyperbolically here. He was the head of the stamp out the Jesus movement. I received mercy for this reason that me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So I don't care where you are in your spiritual journey. If you've committed to loving Christ, you have a, I'm going to choose my words here carefully, boatload of stuff to give to those who don't love him. I still get angry. I still overeat. I still have thoughts go through my head that I wished weren't there. 
We're the ones he chose to use. We got Jesus. That's all we need. I'm not going to figure it out. Todd, I'm old. It just hasn't been a part of my life. I've been going to the church for decades, and I haven't been inviting that many people to follow me. In love? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I want you to be happier in 2023 than you have before. Here's the way. Keep pursuing Jesus. Share him even more effectively with more folks. That's it. So wherever you've been, thank the Lord for where you are, and then move forward. No criticism of anybody in the past. I don't have time. We're just with people. This is about decompartmentalizing our lives and just seeing we are Jesus wherever we go. Meeting people where they're at. That's the big idea of all this. If you really think you don't have time, I'd be making an assessment of how valuable Jesus was to me. If it really isn't that important. I'll wait for them to invite me. I'm not sure any of us have that kind of personality that that many people will be drawn. Let's just start by asking them. If somebody invites you, I encourage you to give them the time. At least start there. I don't know how to invite. This has come up a, a couple of times in conversations I've been having the last few weeks. I'm an introvert. I am married to an introvert. We were married about five years before I figured it out. I still remember sitting in my office study, which is across the, the, the driveway from the parsonage, and I'm trying to figure out my wife and her response. When I go, hey, let's go out Friday night, and she goes, I'd rather stay home. Well, this happens sometimes. I go, she's an introvert. Now, she's socially gracious enough that she does not give the cues. But I went, she's an introvert. I married an introvert. How many of you think I'm an introvert? Yeah, I'd never really wrestled with that. I talk in the elevators. I talk in the men's restroom. I talk everywhere. It's not a problem for me. I know there are these rules. You just talk. And forgive me for those of you who I offended with that last one. Again, my wife is not here, so she can't criticize me for any of these. My wife knows far fewer people and has relationship with far fewer people than me. But I've still never met an introvert that doesn't have relationships. She is always going to have far fewer. Her bandwidth for relationships is far narrower than mine. Just a question of what are we doing with them? If we're here, let's just be who we are with them and give Jesus to them. If we're here, let's go there. And then there's some people that have really broad ones. So just whoever you're with, this is what it's about. Then my concern might be part of the reason we're not more uh, focused on this is we're just not that excited about Jesus. I have people that tell me all the time about what lights them up. At my age now, I hear a lot about grandkids. I hear about cars. I hear about houses. I hear about sports teams. I even have people who don't know me very well who tell me about their gardens. Right? All kinds of stuff. 
People talk about the stuff that excites them. That's the way it works. So all this is, so a few keys. Oh, this you already told us. I'm going to go through it quicker. Jesus serves himself through us. I want you all to believe that. If you love Christ, he's in there. And you have something to give to everyone else. Everyone, whether they love Christ or don't. Jesus is the best. There's nothing better in the world. Okay, so let's go to these keys. Don't ever call yourself a mentor. I've been with people once in a while, and they introduce themselves with their mentoree. Wally, he and I both knew what was going on. Wally never called himself my mentor. He never called himself my disciple. He never used language. You know what he said? Hey, you want to go to lunch? You want to play golf? And I've heard people introduce their mentoree and themselves as the mentor. This is just personal. I don't see anything productive about that. Just hang with these people. Did I know what was going on with Wally? And don't hear me saying he didn't get some stuff from me. He got some stuff, but this was mostly coming from Wally to me. We both knew what was going on. It was just, how about we hang together? Hanging is fun. But there was mentoring going on. Invest in the people you enjoy. I bought into this philosophy when I read that book, and I'd have people come across my past that, quite frankly, I'm trying to say this as kindly and lovingly as I can. I, I just didn't enjoy their company that much. And I stuck it out for longer than I should have. And what I learned is, at least with me, it, it wasn't going to work that well. And I had more people than I could commit to. So I'm going to gravitate those that are just a little easier for me to hang with. And guess what? It worked better. Those that just didn't fit, I pray that God is going to use somebody else in their life. Relax and be yourself. Oh, I'm going to tell you, all the evangelism training I had when I was growing up made me tense and feel guilty. That's, I still remember those feelings. You got to close the deal. Oh, I'm not going to be able to close the deal. Let's relax. Enjoy life. If you're feeling tense, don't mention Jesus' name. If you're feeling obligated... My deep request is don't mention Jesus. Relax and be yourself and let it come out in a conversation. Now, be intentional about who you hang with, but enjoy this. And my conversations about Jesus flow naturally and inevitably from your relationships. My hope is as we finish this last week of going through this book, my hope is that you've been encouraged. This book helped me be even a little more intentional about this and thoughtful. My alarm, other than Sundays and Fridays, because I play golf on Fridays, goes off at 9.38. You're going, you should do that on the golf course, but some of those guys get ticked, so I turn it off on Fridays. <laughs> and you know, It's still an opportunity, potentially. I see some of you, you shouldn't do that. Then you can explain to the golfers why your phone's going off. You could save somebody. I know where your heads are going. Anyway, this was all the stuff. Can you tell when I slip into the stuff that feels less prepared? When my head just goes, you can fell, Stephen. Yeah, it's not good, is it? It's just leave that stuff out. That's what Julie always says. But think how good this will be in the second service because she, though she's an introvert, intimidates and causes me to be frightened. So I'll say a lot less of this. I'll say a lot less of this in the, in the second, in the second uh, uh, service. My hope is we're encouraged. Here's what I dream of. Got an annual meeting next Sunday. 
when we have, hopefully, a sharing service like we're going to have next Sunday morning, there'll be people here that'll be able to testify and say, hey, Fred, Ethel, Mary, introduced me to Jesus, and my life has changed. That's what I dream of in 2023. There'll be a bunch of people here celebrating Jesus with us that we all, that you all, have helped meet him. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for choosing us to be the ones through whom you spread this love. Help us never to be intimidated. Help us never to be threatened. Help us never to be nervous. Help us never to feel obligated. I just pray, Father, that the growing joy that we experience as our faith and trust in you grows as we follow others who are following you and then commit to inviting others to follow us. Oh, Father, make 2023 the best year for all of us, for us corporately, for us individually. May this be the happiest year we have had thus far in our entire lives. That's my prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.